Hello, you're listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This Eastertide, we are asking our Lord to teach us to pray. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, and in response, he gave them what is both one of the most simple and yet complete prayers. In the Didache, one of the earliest documents of the church from the second century, it simply instructs Christians to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Christians have devoted themselves to this prayer from our Lord ever since he first gave it, and we are going to ask him to teach us this spring through prayer. We'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless. And now, O Lord, with the words of my mouth and the meditations the contemplations, the things stirred up within us uh, be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we are um, considering the Lord's Prayer this Easter tide, the season between Easter and Pentecost. Um, and this morning we've come to this petition, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, the author, Virginia Woolf, gave two lectures to two different women's colleges at the University of Cambridge in 1928. And the next year, in 1929, those two lectures were sort of combined sort of in a long essay that was published as a room of one's own. Um, she basically said that the, the summary of her lectures in this little essay was this. A woman must have money and a room of her own if she's to write fiction. Which is to say, uh, writing fiction demands that other things are in place. You can't just write a book randomly. There's other things that are at play in order to do that. Um, some of you have likely heard that boys are a lot like dogs. And I don't mean in a pejorative way. Um, they're like dogs in this. That if something's wrong, it likely means... Um, that eating, sleeping, or running will cure it. Um, feed them, sleep them, run them, and light, attitudes are likely to change, uh, moods are likely to improve, obedience is likely to get a little bit better. Pretty cool. Well, parent hack. It doesn't always work. Um, John chapter 6, that we just heard a little snippet from, begins by telling us um, that Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and that a large crowd was following him there. And chapter, uh, verse 5 picks up this way. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, which is one of his disciples, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? John adds, he said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Some of you are like, denarii, that's weird. I don't use that kind of currency. What does that mean? One denarii was basically like a day's labor. Um, here in Pennsylvania, I thought this was rather shocking, actually. But here in Pennsylvania, the average household income is just a tiny bit over 100000 um, And that would mean that essentially he's saying $80,000 worth of bread is not enough 
80,000 of bread is not enough. What we read, or we read if we continued on, was that there were 5,000 men there. So when you hear, like, you know, when Jesus fed 5,000, don't think it was actually 5,000. Most people think, actually, if you added children, women, you're talking about 20,000 people gathering to hear Jesus. For reference, that's about three and a half of FNB Field, where the, where the senators play. Um, so many of you know how the story goes, right? There's a, there's a young boy, and he has five loaves of barley, and he has two fish. That would have been actually the most normal sort of meal for somebody living around the Sea of Galilee. Five, five uh, loaves of barley, a couple fish. And uh, Jesus takes them, and we read that he gives thanks for them. And then they start to get distributed. And they just multiply and multiply and multiply. So much so that there's baskets leftovers. Baskets full of leftovers after all that has been distributed. Here's part of what I'm saying. Jesus knew that a woman must have money and a room of her own if she's to write fiction. That a boy who's in some kind of way, he probably needs to eat, sleep, and run. If he's to obey and to listen and to sit and eat his dinner at night. Jesus knew the necessity of food. Uh, just physical eating. He knew that if these people were to give their attention to his teachings, well, their ability to do that would improve if all of their bellies weren't rumbling in some loud chorus during Jesus' teachings, his discourse. They needed their daily bread, and Jesus knew that. He didn't just say, come on, you're getting my teaching. Stop grumbling. Some of you know that the vast majority of John chapter 6, though, isn't actually telling the story about Jesus feeding the 5,000 men and some, you know, maybe 20,000 people total. In fact, the main thing in that chapter has to do with Jesus saying again and again and again things like this. I am the bread of heaven. He says it again. I'm the bread of heaven. He says, I'm the bread of life. He says, I am the living bread. He just keeps saying this. So what Jesus seems to say, just in this little bit of ch little chapter, is that he knows the necessity of daily bread given. He knows that. But he's also saying, you also need the necessity of the bread broken. Okay, so I just have these two points this morning, and they're both coming out of this idea of John chapter 6. And it's just this, that the Lord understands these necessities. He understands the daily bread given, and he understands the necessity of the broken bread given. Okay, so first, necessity of the daily bread given. So I mentioned last week, for those of you who were here, um, that the first three petitions in the Lord's Prayer are directed Godward. Uh, How would be your name? Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Godward petitions. And that for many people, many scholars think that the, 
the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, works as a sort of bridge between these first three petitions and then the next three petitions. The first three are oriented towards God. The latter three are oriented towards humankind. Give us. Uh, forgive us. Uh, lead us. This first petition here, give us this day our daily bread, is kind of widely regarded as the most earthly petition. When it takes that turn from sort of heavenward to earthward, it's talking about all of it. A petition that, that touches on nearly everything on this earth. And what it's saying is you are dependent on the gift of God for it. Think about this. Okay, right from the very beginning of the Bible. I mean, like, literally right at the very first chapter of the very first book. We hear that God gives food. He gives food. Um, he sustains, and we are dependent on his giving and this sustaining. Um, last week, we saw that when he makes humankind in his image, uh, and as his statues, as I mentioned, he tells them this. He says, multiply and fill the earth. Extend my kingdom everywhere. Be my little statue saying this area and this area of life, and all of it belongs to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's Genesis 1.28. Genesis 1.29, like the next thing that God says after that very, very first thing he says, is this. Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. What we hear is right from the beginning, in this multiplying, in this filling, God is giving. He's giving us to, to us to sustain us, and he's giving us food, physical food. He sustains, he provides. We understand that God makes the world, this physical world, with, with wood, with mouths, with bellies, with mushrooms. Can I get an amen? Somebody. Um, Chris Gazy isn't here, otherwise I'd hear an amen. Hopefully. Uh, with potatoes, uh, with seeds, and small intestines. And he declared it good. He did. He gives food, he sustains, he provides. Um, and of course, if you follow the story, the first sin that happens actually pertains to eating. But more than that, it actually pertains to not believing that what God has given is actually going to sustain you. It's going to be enough. It had to do with rebellion against the life of dependence on God. And of course, actually, if you keep reading, so that's chapter 2, what we read there. If you read chapter 3 right? The curse of this sin is related to eating. Out of the beauty of the fruit of the garden, pushed out from that because of sin, what we read is that man now eats in pain. Um, this is what the curse says to man. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now our eating has an effect of sin, and it's the curse. 
So here's the reality. Let me share some statistics with you. 14 million children last year suffered from severe acute malnutrition globally. 14 million. That's far more than the population of Pennsylvania. Listen to this. 45% of child death globally is due to hunger and related causes like dirty water and unhygienic eating situations. Listen to this. After steadily declining for a decade, world hunger is on the rise, affecting nearly 10% of people globally. From 2019 to 2022, the number of undernourished people grew by as many as 150 million. A crisis driven largely by conflict, by many of you know the, the grain conflict in Ukraine, uh, climate change, and the COVID-19 pandemic. So we cry out this side of the garden, God, please, please give us this day our daily bread. Provide, Lord, provide. We want God to do something in regards to the dynamics of this food-starved world, this earth and its earthly existence. So in this prayer, we lay before God sort of the most basic need. It's the most basic things, our daily bread. The daily bread that sustains us. Um, you probably know this, but with no food or no drink, you would die within a week. If you had no food, but you could drink water and other drink, you could live about two to three months. But our most basic need is food. And our most basic thing from the very beginning is God saying, I'm going to provide for you. And we're invited to cry out to God, God, give us this. Give us our daily bread. Sustain us in this life. Of course, yet most theologians have said that this petition is it's not only about food. Um, it's about food, but it's, in, it's about all of these things that sustain us in life that we need in this life. And I want you just to think with me for a moment. What do we need just to have bread? We need to have land that can be cultivated. We probably actually need to have some level of governance so that land can be protected. It can be used wisely. It can have a level of ownership so that, that owner is able to do the work that they are called to do with it. That land needs to be tilled. Um, the seeds, you have to have seeds to have bread. So you will have had to work, or somebody will have had to work to get those seeds. You will have to do the work of planting them, of watering them, of tending to them, of harvesting them, of you know, doing away with the chaff and bringing the grain to a mill of some sort, or having a mill that was developed for your house or something. You'll have to grind that. Even once you have the flour, it's not like flour just gets bread. You'll have to have clean water. You, uh, if you want sort of a yeasty bread, you'll have to, have, have to cultivate that. Um, if you actually want to cook it instead of just sort of leave it as, you know, blob, blob. That's not the right word. I didn't write that part down. What is it? Dough. Most obvious thing ever. If you just don't want dough but you want bread... You're going to have to have a fire, right? Which means actually having a source of energy, oil, gas, logs. You'll have to have uh, sort of the thing that contains the bread, um, pottery or 
Maybe you have to have a, a, a stove, an oven to actually cook it in. And look how much is contained in just the request for one thing that nourishes you, bread. It seems to touch on all of life almost. Governance, ownership, work, industry, tilling, working, waking up, and just showing up and putting your hands to the plow. Um, even to ask for the simple thing of bread is to begin to bring every single thing before God and say, God, would you give me this, please? Everything is under him. From governments that pr promote healthy land use and ownership to engineers that design and manufacturers that produce ovens. Lay all of these earthly desires, all these earthly things before our Lord. There is nothing in this earthly existence that isn't to be brought before our Lord. We ask for his blessing and his provision. You turn with me to the beginning of your bulletin. There's a, a lengthy quote, so I'd invite you to actually turn there. So I'm going to read it all for you. This is from Martin Luther's larger catechism when he answers the question of what's going on in this petition, give us this day our daily bread. Here's what he says. Here we are mindful of the poor bread basket, namely of our body and the necessities of the temporal life. It is a brief and simple word, but it's also very broad and comprehensive. For if you speak of and pray for daily bread, you pray for everything that is necessary in order to have and enjoy the same, and also against everything which interferes with it. Therefore, you must enlarge your thoughts and extend them afar, not only to the oven or the flour barrel, but to the distant field and the entire land which bears and brings to us daily bread and every sort of sustenance. For if God did not cause it to grow and bless and preserve it in the field, we could never take bread from the oven or have any to set upon the table. To, to speak briefly, this petition includes everything that belongs to our entire life in the world. Friends, um, in this petition for our daily bread, you are actually invited by our Lord Jesus himself to ask the Lord for all things in this life. Um, to say, Lord, help me get out of bed in the morning because the pressures of work have become so great that my anxiety is going crazy and I just want to snuggle up underneath this, this blanket and I don't want to get up. This is too much for me. Sustain me in this daily task that's right before me right now. You're invited um, to bring your final exams, your college students and others before the Lord. He knows how hard those can be. He knows the, 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 the possibility of getting a grade or not getting a grade may mean getting an internship or not getting an internship that may lead to getting or not getting that accounting job that may lead or not lead to supporting your children and your family and giving bread on your table. He knows all that. And he knows that it's all intertwined all the time. Maya Angelou said this, uh, writing is a part of my life, as we all know, if you know her. Cooking is a part of my life. Making love is a part of my life. Walking down the street is a part of my life. Writing may demand more time, but it takes from all these other activities. It's all just intertwined. God is saying, 
Bring it all to me. All of it. Jesus invites us here to ask God to provide our daily bread. But in doing this, he's really telling us that all things come from him. That he cares about every single thing in your life. Uh, He knows that if you don't eat well, you get hangry. And you don't parent well when you get hangry. And you don't show up for your friends well when you get hangry. And all kinds of other things. He knows that your dog needs to eat, sleep, and run. And he knows your kids need to do that. Robert Capon, in his book, Bed and Board, wrote, Things as such are never bad. They're not even indifferent. They're positively good. Let a man just once really face fish or fowl, bread and wine, shoelace or gummed label, and he will know he has by no means lowered himself. In lifting them up, he himself grows taller. And Jesus is inviting you to lift up all of your life to the Lord. In that simple request to give us our daily bread, he's saying lift it all up to the Lord. And as you do that, you will see your whole self being lifted up to God and him providing for you completely. All of the materiality of this life God cares about. So you're to pray about your work and your fear of work. Um, Pray that you'll be able to take on another day when the prospect of what is ahead of you makes you just want to curl up. Pray for your sexual life, your children's education. Pray for our government, our leaders, our farmers, our bank tellers. It's all together. Pray it all. Pray the daily bread given. God would sustain us today. Um... Listen to this quote. This is from Kelton Cobb. Uh, He's a current theologian. Hasn't written much, but he says this. The table, the trough, has God's fingerprints all over it. We participate in a mystery whenever we eat food. Indeed, every meal is sacramental. Through eating, death is resurrected into life. Dead fish, dead figs, and dead cornflakes are transformed into the living tissues of our bodies. Through some mystery brewing deep inside of us, all that dead matter comes to life. That is an event I would call sacred, a holy occurrence. And I think this is why maybe John saw the necessity of putting Jesus' feeding of this multitude in the same chapter as him insisting that we find him to be the bread of heaven, the bread of heaven, the bread of life, the living bread. And so theologians have often and almost, almost exclusively in the early church said that this prayer primarily means that we need Jesus. Of course, what most people believe it also is really us saying our earthly things are, are laid before him, asking that he would provide. But it's most certainly also asking that we would taste of the things that really satisfy. And so I've just spoken to you a little bit about the necessity of our daily bread given But I want us to consider the necessity of the living bread broken, okay? The living bread broken, my second point. 
So Jesus, after he is baptized, the first thing he does to begin his ministry is he goes out to the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights. And this is what we are told. He was hungry. You want to say to Matthew, who's writing, you're like, no, duh. I mean, 40 days, 40 nights, you're hung- he was hungry. But this is the interesting thing. What happens is the tempter comes to him, and what is the first thing that the tempter tempts him with? Well, it says this. If you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. I mean, it's like, uh, it's like the perfect temptation in that kind of setting. 40 days, 40 nights, no food, starving, he's hungry. Yeah, maybe I should just use my, my power for myself to grab something. Maybe I should be tempted in this way to feed myself. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of makes the Israelites gr- like grumbling for the hamburgers of Egypt seem like pathetic in a way. Um, Jesus answers, though, this from Deuteronomy chapter 8 that you heard. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And of course, what Jesus says to the tempter here, he tells us again and again and again. You don't live. I mean, you don't really live by the things of this world. If you want to really have life, you cannot live by bread alone. In fact, what Jesus tells us is what we know to be true again and again in our lives When we do seek to live by the things of this world, they end up consuming us and killing us. Think. The anxiety of our days, we often meet with overeating or undereating. I mean, that's how we often live. We live full of fear and we actually take or we abstain in such a way that's actually harmful for us. Um, The worry of our inability to parent can be met often with long night after long night at the office, which kills the very thing you're actually fearful of, running away from that responsibility, thinking there's no way I can actually show up and be present in a way that is enough. Of course you can't, but you have the Lord with you. About this, the days that add together to become weeks, add together to become months of you and your spouse not talking to one another can be hidden by the things of this world that are good, like gardening and cooking and reading and sport. But Jesus says you cannot live, really live, on these things of this earth. He says, I've made you for them. I've given them to you. They are a gift to sustain you and to give you joy. But if you just, if all your prayers is give us these things of this earth, you're going to die. You die a thousand times before you really die. Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, our Lord Jesus says, you have no life in you. That's what he says near the end of John chapter 6. And of course, people throughout time have been like, that's such a weird phrase. Jesus, that... So spooky. Um, in fact, some people, particularly in the time of the early church, really 
actually called early Christians cannibals because they kept hearing them talk about drinking blood and eating flesh. Um, and they thought, this, this is like the weirdest group of people ever. They love their neighbors, but they're like talking about drinking blood. <clears throat> um, but I want you to think with me for a moment about this, okay? About the necessity of the broken body and the shed blood for our daily living. So take some of the examples I just gave. Um, many of us will seriously live with such deep sorrow and um, such incredible despair and overwhelming anxiety and mental illness. Um, and many of these will persist in our lives until Jesus comes back. I mean, the, the sorrows of our world are unbelievably overwhelming. And so many of you know this already, and all of us will taste this on some level. Um, but we will experience these to the point that actually taking the next step in our daily life will feel absolutely impossible. Most of us will actually experience that. And Jesus knows that. And he even actually knows the very experience of that. What we read right before Jesus goes to the cross where his body is broken and his blood is, sh is shed is that he is sweating blood, saying, I don't really want to do this, but not my will, but yours be done. And out of that possibility, believing that his daily provision was going to be met by the Father, he was able to take the next step and the next step, even in the midst of that kind of sorrow. We were able to learn that though you die, because his body was broken and it was put in the ground like a seed, though you die, you will live. Um, many of us will have such a weight of responsibi responsibility put upon us in various parts of our lives that we will know with sort of an overwhelming sense our inability to do what we believe we're called to do with, those, with regards to those responsibilities. Um, many of us will feel at times like we are absolutely drowning. Um, but it will be when we hunger in that place, and we give it to the Lord, that we will often see, and you, so many of you have seen this, that the Lord's strength is made perfect in our weakness. You will somehow find that when you die again, you really live. That the blood shed and the body broken is for your life. And you really live when you eat of this reality, of Christ's gift for you. Um, many of us will harbor such bitterness and anger and unforgiveness against another, an old friend or a spouse or a sibling or a boss or a parent or whoever it is, that uh, what Thomas Chalmers wrote will, will be true of you. That unforgiveness was the poison you drank hoping another will die. And the only way that that is actually ever going to be healed is by the reality of Christ's broken body and his blood shed for you. And knowing what your sin did to Jesus and actually moving out of that place to this possibility that because you've received forgiveness, you're going to extend forgiveness and not harbor bitterness that hardens and kills you.
What I'm suggesting to you is that what Jesus says, which makes us kind of squirm and think of cannibalism, is actually the most sane thing possible. Because you cannot live by physical bread alone. You're not going to flourish just by having a government that's well-structured, by utensils and ovens that work well, by seeds that are planted in fields and then harvested and made into grain. You're not going to flourish that way. You're not going to live, like really live how God wants you to live just because of that. You need that. And Jesus knows you need that. And he invites you to bring it all to him. One of the things that he is teaching us, one of the things that he is teaching us, even through those things, is you cannot live by bread alone, but only by him. The body which was broken and the blood which was shed for you. Unless you eat of his flesh and you drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Let me end with a quote. Um, I began this sermon with a quote from Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own. I'm going to end with a short quote from that same little booklet. It's this, and it's true in the physical life, and it's absolutely true in the spiritual life. One cannot think well, love well, sleep well, if one has not dined well. Lord Jesus, God, we, th we, know, we know at least the images of our mind of how malnourished so many little children are throughout our world and how their dining has affected their education and has affected their relationships and has killed so many of them. God, we know the dynamics of our own lives which can feel so utterly overwhelming that the weight of sorrow and despair on ourselves causes us to want to curl up in a ball and not remotely take on the next thing that you've placed right before us in our given day. And so we cry out with those things. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord. God, we confess the reality that sin has marred this, this life so much. That there in the garden you gave such abundance... And there in the garden, we say, we don't want to live in dependence on you. You are not enough. Your gifts are not enough. And that that put into place the long spiral of suffering and of pain, of malnutrition, of running from you. God, we lay all these things before you. All of them, Lord. Act, please. But God, I pray too that not one of us here, not one of us would look to the things of this world as though they are enough. Recommitting that sin in the garden long ago, seeing the beauty of the fruit and desiring it more than your word, more than your commands, more than your presence. So Lord, as we pray, give us this day our daily bread. God, we pray that we would feast upon you. 
that it would be true in our lives that we are what we eat. Christ's body, his people, say, not my will, but yours be done. That are willing to be like a grain 